This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Going to talk about Mr. Pink. Not Reservoir Dogs, but Greg Wyshynski, rather. Welcome to Hour 2 of the program from ESPN. Here he is once again for MVSW Wednesday. Our man Greg Wyshynski. Hello, Wish. Why I got to be Mr. Pink? Um, <laughs> a lot of people... A lot you know of people, it. A lot of people who saw the outfit that I wore to the all-star game, which again <clears throat> was because I, I did the drop with Arda Ocal. It was a half an hour pregame show before the game. And thank you all, all of you that tuned in. It was a, it was a good success for us. Um, I, I wanted to look the part. I wanted to look a uh, real kind of South Floridian. And so I started researching about two weeks before the all-star game, how to get a pink suit. Now, at first, I was thinking a white suit, Merrick. Oh, yeah. But then I, no, 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 I said no, no, no. to my... No, no, no. There was a, the, 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 the probability of me spilling marinara sauce <laughs> on this thing before I ever started the show, there was a high probability of it. So I said to myself, how do I get a mm-hmm. pink suit? So I, I did what everyone would do in this case, which is I went to the uh, tuxedo store and said, how much to rent a pink suit. And then I walked out of the tuxedo store and said, that won't happen. And so I went to Amazon <laughs> and I discovered. How much was it? Whoa, 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 a... whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Oh, hold back on, up. Hold how on. much was it? To right. rent a pink suit? It's like a couple hundred bucks. And this yeah. is like a prop. And, and I don't know if you know this, but uh, <laughs> we may not necessarily get all of our props for our streaming show covered by the corporate overlords. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I went to Amazon and I found a cottage industry yeah. of, uh, of, of like, costume suits like of any shape or size oh, yeah. you want and so the pink suit that i wore first of all a size too big i should have done what my wife does when she orders uh, clothes online which is to get both sizes return the one you don't use but i'm a man so i didn't think of it and then uh, mm. it costs 30 dollars the costume now i looked at the reviews and many of the reviews said uh, the following Try not to iron it <laughs> and definitely don't put, <laughs> put it in the dryer. <laughs> so I wasn't going to wear it on the plane. So I, I did have to iron it. And I was like, I ironed it on the yeah. most delicate, like setting I could set a hotel iron to do. And, and, and there was no singeing or burning or nothing. Um, I still don't think yeah. I'll ever put it in the dryer. Uh, the, the, the people that said don't put it in the dryer did it with the specificity of of the gremlins rules like don't feed your suit after midnight kind of thing so like i i i am uh, i'm happy it didn't fall apart i'm happy it didn't rain i'm pretty sure it would have burst at the seams if it did but i thought i looked pretty good overall on, yeah. the, on the drop this weekend yeah uh i loved it uh when i first saw the pic when the fr- picture first popped up online i thought that is very wish and congratulations to you i thought it was uh outstanding and very on brand and my first thought was miami vice like that was something I could see either Crockett or Tubbs. I know I am dating myself here, but where? And you know what? Like it fit the it it fit the vibe. Like it fits the vibe of of South Florida, much like. And I know up around these parts, I am very much in the minority on this one, Greg. I assure you. But it very much fits the vibe, not unlike the Florida Panthers uh, reverse retros. Like mm-hmm. that. Like I I know that they I know the Florida Panthers love the. You know, uh, love the uh, the aggressive Panther logo, like as I call it, the West Point Panther. Um, that's what they, they <laughs> really dig, and they're they're into all of that. But I honestly, I look at those the baby blues with the palm tree and the hockey sticks, and I'm like, that should be what they wear every game. 
You know, like the Minnesota Wild or the, or the reverse retro of the Minnesota Wild wing, or Minnesota North Stars wink, and it looks great, need more green in the league and all that. Like, they're going in that direction. If I'm the Florida Panthers, man, I'm looking at, at their thirds right now and saying, I get that you love the West Point Panther. I get it. You guys all went to West Point. I know, I know. But, man, that looks great. Like, that looks like it belongs on a hockey player who's playing in Sunrise, who's playing you know, outside of Fort Lauderdale. It looks perfect to me. Your thoughts on that one? Well, true to form, uh, we are certainly putting the verses into Merrick versus Wachinski today because I completely agree. It is the best reverse retro jersey that they made. <laughs> it should replace their primary yeah. jersey immediately. I completely agree with you. Um, and, and rare is the reverse retro jersey that I think, you know, fits that category like I, I you could easily have replaced the la kings jersey with that purple one that they they, they had in the first run of reverse retro, love it. retro jerseys it was purple and gold uh, i'm sorry forum gold or whatever forum forum purple, i don't know forum blue forum blue and gold that's what they call it <laughs> and uh it had the gretzky yeah. era kings logo that you could replace their primary jersey with that in a millisecond and, and i feel the same way about this florida panthers one it is it is a leaps and bounds better than any Panther-centric jersey that they've worn. It's the first thing they've ever worn that mm-hmm. actually made you remember that they play in South Florida. The hockey stick and palm tree combination is evocative. It's so good. And um, I, I really yeah. wish they would just great. kick out the Panther and make that their primary. But you know they won't because they all went to West Point and they want to remind everybody that <laughs> they all went to West Point. So well, I mean, they're going to keep that, the West Point you, you Panther. Have to, <laughs> you, you have to honor a legacy of a team that has made the playoffs like four times in its existence. So you really have to, you know, bow down to the logo, remember the good times, you know, honor the legacy of Ryan Scrudland and, and Thomas Vokun, uh, and, and not really try to move the <laughs> franchise forward. Oh, there were plenty of others too. Robert Shvela comes to mind right away. One of my favorite Florida Panthers of of all time. Like there were like there were. Like, it's funny too because so I promised our podcast producer that I wouldn't say where we went when we got there, uh, because he's working on this feature that's gonna that's gonna pop up here soon. That's Amal Delich. So Ooh. we went somewhere that really made me think back to the history of the Florida Panthers. And inevitably, when you do that, you have to go to 1996 and that great run by the Panthers and the playoff series and getting into you know, that, that series against Colorado. And unfortunately, they got starched um, by Colorado. And Uwe Krupp scores the, uh, the, the game winner. Uh, one nothing in, in game four. But we think of the Rats. And one of the, the where we went, there's a great picture. And I'd forgotten about this. And it's such a... Wish it's such a Patrick Waugh thing. So you remember the year of the rat with the Florida Panthers. You know, uh, Scott Mellenby kills the rat in the room, and all of a sudden people mm-hmm. are throwing rats every time the Panthers score a goal. It's, it's, it's a cool tradition that, that still exists. So when that happened, you'll recall that goaltenders, when the rats would start hitting the ice, they would retreat into their net. And there was game three, and it was the last goal the Florida Panthers scored. And Patrick Waugh, netminder for the Avalanche, doesn't retreat into the net. He stays in the crease as like this motivation <laughs> that there's going to be no more. He just he's standing in the crease and everyone's like pelting him with these rats. And it is so Patrick Waugh. He's not retreating. He's not hiding. He's standing there. And then as the story goes, 
he goes into the dressing room and he's like, guys, no more rats. No more rats are hitting the ice. Game four, Krupp scores a goal. It's one nothing. And true to Patrick's prophecy, no more rats hit the ice and the Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup. When you think of the history of the Panthers, and you mentioned a couple, like I love Thomas Focun there too. Um, they always had sluggers. I don't think we talk enough because you and I, you know, have an appreciation of the tough guys going way back. I don't think we talk about how tough Paul Laws was. Like he was probably one of, if not with all due respect to George LaRock, maybe the toughest in the league for a lot of years. Like he buckled prober. Like there's a lot of really intriguing names that have gone through Florida. There's a lot of second generation players now, whether we think of, you know, Casey Fitzgerald or Stillman's like it's it, not that it's a long, rich history. No one's going to confuse them for the Montreal Canadians, but there is a history there. When I say Florida Panthers and their history, what do you think of? Well, first of all, I think there's every chance that Patrick Watt trained by having his coaches throw buckets of live rats at him. It's, it's entirely in keeping <laughs> with the psychological edge it's that he possible. tried to have over his opponents. It's possible. Um, yeah. I think, I think he, here's honestly the legacy. The legacy obviously is, is the run to the final playing the trap, John Van Beesbrook career Renaissance. And, and that is the first legacy. The second legacy is, is probably the Burray years. I mean, Pavel Burray for four seasons at 251 points in 223 games, including two of the best goal scorers, yeah. a couple of the best goal scoring seasons that, that he's, that he had in his career. And that will be burdened on my memory. The rest of it, unfortunately is, is the legacy of the Florida Panthers is never was, you know, you think about names like, like Nathan Horton. Um, you think about, uh, mm. players that, that came up. I mean, obviously Luongo is part of that legacy. Not a never was, but, but, but a connective tissue to a couple of different eras. Um, I guess if I was going to sum it up in totality, Eric, it would be never was as one run to the cup final. And as we've kind yeah. of danced around here, a, an interesting legacy of goaltending Luongo Van Beesbrook, Vokun, right? Uh, yeah. Bobrovsky yep. now, right? Um, that's probably your, what the Florida Panthers are. I mean, unless you think that there's another direction we can go, I guess the, the Kachuk Barkov, Huberdo years are like the the fourth incarnation of the team. Yeah, I, I think you need to throw players in there like David Booth as well, who and I can recall just like just how nasty it was between between David Booth and Mike Keenan. I think when yeah. you talk about the Panthers, you have to throw the name Stephen Weiss in there as well, uh, yeah. who was real good for uh, for for a lot of years. But you know what I think of this is this is like true MVSW but stuff he was, here. But he was. So oh, but he was I think I think. Of, what, but hold on, Merrick, Merrick, Merrick. That's my point though. Like yeah. Weiss was fourth overall, and yeah, I mean three hundred ninety-four yep, points in six hundred fifty-four career games. Now, that's pretty good. But I mean, you think about the number of 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 high draft picks that this team had that never actualized into players oh, yeah. that led them to the playoffs. I think that's the legacy. But go ahead. Sorry. And I always wondered if they were on other teams, what would, what, how, how would their careers have ended up? Because I don't think it was a, right. I don't think it was a drafting issue. Like these are really good players. I think it was more yeah. of a development and opportunity issue than anything else. Like you want, like to, to your point about Stephen Weiss, for example, he ends up getting drafted by the Detroit Red Wings. How different um, is Stephen Weiss's career? Okay, so here's here's one of the things that I think of, and I got to check, and maybe you know offhand. Do you know if when a player gets traded now? Do you know if there's a cap on how much they're allowed to spend 
to make their move from one city to the next? <laughs> do, do you, are you know saying from the player or for the team? If the team, is there a cap on the, the team? team? Is there a cap oh, on please. how much the team oh, oh. is is obliged to spend? So you're saying is is like renting a mansion for this player? Uh, when they're traded. No, no, no. I'm talking. I'm talking about like taking things from the player's old location where he used to live, and having them trucked across the United States no, no, to no. the new location I, or I, I across I the border. Like, do you know if there's a, do you know if there's a cap on I that? I don't think so. I don't think there's a cap on that. But but where I think where I thought you were going is, I do think that there's probably CBA CBA violations afoot if. You know, you're kind of like wink, wink, bonus moneying somebody a house, right? To rent, or some sort, right? Right? Like, it, right? You can't just like or maybe, temporary maybe, housing. Oh, by the way, a three million dollar mansion on the beach kind of deal. Although somehow Sidney Crosby was able to live at Mario Lemieux's mansion for a number of years, we'll just look the other way on that. Well, that is there was that is at, that you are you are shady are going digging, on with are, the no, that is not true. He lived he lived in the wine cellar. That's canonical. He had a mattress li- yeah, and a blanket. He, yeah. he was sitting. He was sleeping next to the Chevron Blanc. We all know that to be true. That's exactly where where Mario kept him. Mm. Yeah. He was like uh, Arthur Fonzarelli in Happy Days. He was living above the garage in a tiny little, like, no bedroom. So we've covered, shack. we've covered, uh, um, okay, we've so, covered Happy Days and Miami Vice so far. Do you want to? Do you want to keep going back? Should we bring up the Clampets next? <laughs> our our references are very dated. We're getting older, Greg. Okay, so here, but here's why I bring up. Hang on a second. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Here's why I bring up the question of are you, is there a maximum that you're obliged to spend as a new team as you truck someone from one end of the the country to the other? Igor Liryanov, when he was traded from the Detroit Red Wings to the Florida Panthers. So the Florida Panthers got a bill. I can't remember how much it was, but it was a whopper from Larianov for his move from Detroit to Florida. And I think he only ended up, like, correct me if I'm wrong, if you have it in front of you, Wish, I think he only ended up playing, like, 30 games for the Florida Panthers. But the bill was a... Yeah, Igor Larianov. You have that up in front of you? Yeah, Igor Larianov How many games did he play with the Panthers? 26. Okay, so he played 26 games for the Florida Panthers. They got a whopper of a bill. You know Why? Because he insisted, oh, I know you'll love this, on moving his entire wine cellar with him <laughs> from Detroit, <laughs> the Florida Panthers. Now, don't forget, he owned a wine company. I think one of the, the, the premium wines was something called Slapshot Shiraz. Um, but he insisted on having the entire wine cellar brought with him to Sunrise. Yeah. And, and I got to imagine. And the Panthers got like the bill, when... and they got the bill, and we're yeah, like. What is this? It, I got to imagine it's not like when uh, when me and my wife moved across Brooklyn and we wrapped our uh, bottles of scotch in old blankets. I'm sure this is a temperature <laughs> controlled like that, yeah. truck. Correct. Everything is is Correct. completely uh, you know strapped down and, and and padded and safe. So it's got to be got to be a hell of a of adventure to move that whole. It's got to be a bill. Six games, no less. I- <laughs> 
I got I got I got to I got to talk to someone who is from the uh, from from that regime to find out exactly how much that bill was because the the word that I got was it's a whopper and their first thought is you got to be kidding we're paying for him to bring his wine cellar to Florida <laughs> he's only going to be here for the end of the season like 30 games as you point out 26 games thank you very much but uh so that's that's Three. one of the stories that I'll always remember from the, from the Florida Panthers anyhow so um, I, hang on here. a couple so anything four, more on four, on uh, Four, five, four. Okay, four. I've got four skaters in Panthers history that made the Hockey Hall of Fame. Four of them. Lirianov is one. Okay. Yep. Yep. You got the other three. Beret is two. Obviously, you got the other two. Uh, Roberto Luongo. Well, no, no, skaters, skaters. Oh, sorry, skaters. Yeah. Uh, well, Pavel Beret. Uh, Bure, Lurianov. You got two other ones. They're really Bure, random. They're good. Ver- oh, I like the sounds of that. With the okay. For the purposes one of this being live radio, games just for them. Say- oh, one played 42 oh, games for them. The other one played 80 games for them. <laughs> oh, that is nice and random. Right. I do like that. Who Who is it? I don't want to waste anyone's time here. All right. 2006-2007. Joe Newendike of the Florida Panthers. Okay. Right, that was the Maple Leafs trade. How could I miss on that one? Of course, Joe Newendike. At 1998 to 1999, 42 games, 11 goals, 12 assists. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dino Cicerelli of the Florida Panthers. Standing in front of the net, making a living, dining out in the crease. I'm Dino Cicerelli. Dino I got a bad back. I can barely tie my own shoes now because I got cross checks in my lower spine to make a lot of money over Traded. a lot of years playing for a lot of teams, most notably Florida. Listen to this. Remember some guys trade. 1998, traded by oh. the Tampa Bay Lightning with Jeff Norton to the Florida Panthers for Mark Fitzpatrick Big and Jody Hall, Merrick. Ooh, goaltender Mark Fitzpatrick, who I th- who was part of. Uh, Mark Fitzpatrick uh, was part of an all Medicine Hat Tigers trade once. It would have been <laughs> Mark Fitzpatrick, Wayne McBean for Kelly Rudy, all Medicine Hat Tigers. That's I think correct. I have that right. The future considerations of that trade, America, okay. of course, Doug Doug Crossman was the future considerations in the. Harold, good defenseman, part of that great big four for the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, I believe Wayne McBean dated Alyssa Milano. By the way, might be wrong on that. Bingo! I was waiting for you to mention that that because that is that is very on brand for you. Yes, it's hundred percent true. Yes, it was. There you You got it, Wayne McBean. There they are. There they are, splashed all over the pages of. I assume this is (laughs) Team Beat. (laughs) Alyssa Milano and Wayne Uh, McBean. There they are. Yep. Legendary couple. Uh, okay, so that is Florida. Let me ask you about something uh, that's happened this week. <laughs> As we're going back to Wayne McBean dating Alyssa Milano, Igor Larianov bringing wine cellars uh, from Detroit to, to Fort Lauderdale. Let's try to current it up a little bit here for oh, some okay. of the younger sure. folks. Happy days and Crockett and Tuz. Remember when Phil Collins was on Miami Vice? No, but I remember when oh, Frank yeah. Zappa was and he jumped in the ocean. Which was the style of the time. Uh, what do you make of the Bohorvat phenomenon with the Islanders? I know the math doesn't look nice, but sure is going to be fun now. Do you mean the contract? Because I think, you know, obviously we've seen them get Mm-mm. 
invigorated since his arrival, which is to be expected when your team makes a big trade. It's it's your there... general manager saying, I, I believe in you, group. Here's something to help you out. Um, not not yeah. a huge fan of the math for them making the playoffs, but but a little bit of a of a, of a boost. Now, here here's the, someone said uh, it was critical of me the other day about the idea of uh, I didn't like the money on the Bo Horvat contract, and that's that's only partially true. I don't like the years on the Bo Horvat contract, which is paying him that cap hit for you know eight years, well past what what I'll consider to be his most productive years, but. I mean, that's that's the price you have to pay to secure the player. And you have to secure the player if you're Lula Murillo because you have two things on your plate in making this trade. One, you owe Matthew Barzell another star player to play with. That is absolutely the motivation here. Barzell signs on that dotted line long-term with the Islanders under the auspices that he's going to get some help. Now, you get help one of two ways. You get help, you know, either either by drafting a player and developing a player, so he's got a young star to play with, or you you help by signing a free agent or acquiring somebody via trade. In this case, they acquired somebody somebody via trade and then signed him as a free agent. So now he knows he has Bo Horvat mm-hmm. on his team in perpetuity. That's great. The other thing that Lou had to do, and this hasn't been talked enough enough about, there's been so much focus on Lou being 80 years old. The old man's got to win. He's got to go out a winner. This can't be his legacy. That's got nothing to do with it. Here's what it's got everything to do with. A two-year-old. That two-year-old is UBS Arena, right next to Belmont Park. Yeah. They spent a lot of money building it. The New York Islanders being a non-playoff team in consecutive seasons to open that place that is bad for business. What they need is stuff that's good for business. Yeah. They need to stay competitive. They need to stay relevant. They need to sell, sell out a Bo Horvat jerseys like they did last night. It is a business decision and a hockey decision. And based on the way that he constructed that roster, Merrick, it's the only one he could make. Did um, did they really sell out of Horvat jerseys last night? So that was what I saw on Twitter. I can't, I can't, um, I haven't verified Well, that it, does so. it. So apologies. Oh, okay. No need. Apo- apologies for not very. I-, I do wonder about the mechanics of selling out of a jersey that you can now screen print within like thirty seconds at any of these places. But <laughs> apparently the the racks the racks were cleaned out of Bo Horvat jerseys, yeah. according to one witness at the game last night. Uh, and and g- again, like they're going to sell a ton of jerseys. They're going to there is going to be a spike in interest if the Islanders all of a sudden go from twelve percent to make the playoffs, which is what they were before the trade, to thirty three percent to make the playoffs, which is what they are now, according to Money Puck. That only helps things. It is it is an extremely extremely important financial decision for the franchise to to maintain a competitive team. They have a decent core. Like if they bring back Sorokin, which I mean I assume that they will when he becomes a free agent. Oh, I mean, for you know, hundred percent. Bar- Barzell, Horvat, Sorokin, uh, at least three solid defensemen. Like you've got some stuff to build around. It's just that the rest of that roster, I'm just not in love with. It's a lot of, it's a lot of supporting characters in search of of some some stars, and and now they've got another yeah, one at I, least I, in that I lineup. You know who I wonder about? I wonder about Semyon Varlamov, and here's why. This is a really good tandem. These two guys really get along, but this is Varlamov's last shot at a big contract. And maybe, maybe even it's not, maybe even that's gone by the wayside. I might be talking, I might be talking out, uh, out the side here, but you know, he's 34 years old. 
He's really comfortable right now with the Islanders. Him and Sorokin are great together. He's on the expiring deal, 34 years old. You know, last season there were all kind of rumors about him and the Edmonton Oilers, him and other teams. He has a, a modified no-trade clause uh, in, his, in his contract. Does he stay for cheaper? Does he test the market? Because Sorokin and Varlamov are a real nice battery here. Like, if you're going to stay competitive, uh, that's really good in the net. Like, Sorokin's the shutout machine. Another one last night. Beat Seattle. Shut him out. Put it over there. That's why I put all the rest of my shutouts. That pile is getting large. Him and Varlamov are really good. What happens to Varlamov at the end of the season? I don't know. What happens if Varlamov come trade deadline? I don't know. I think that you're, that's one of the guys that I'm intrigued point, by. I think your original point is the important one, which is that I think his peak earning years are behind him. The guy's made over $49 million over the last nine seasons. Okay. So like, I don't think he's going to get another, another huge contract from somebody, but the, the, the thing you mentioned that I think is important is that like Sorokin and Varlamov are close. And I've talked to people around the Islanders over the last couple of years when there was kind of, oh, won't teams be interested in Varlamov? Why do you need him if you've got Sorokin? Trade this guy and help out the rest of your lineup. They're extraordinarily close to the point where one of the reasons Sorokin got acclimated yeah. to North America so well is because Varlamov is there. And and if you if you yeah. have something in Sorokin that's this good, and maybe Varlamov's presence is one of the reasons why that he's he's so good, you don't want to mess that up. And, and, I, and I do think that their relationship and the way they interact, the way they work together, and the fact that Varlamov's not a bad goaltender means that I wouldn't be surprised to see this relationship continue in, for, for the next few years in, in, on the island. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a strong belief that Lamarillo isn't done and that Lamarillo still has at least one more move to make here. I would have to assume it's on the wing, and I would have to assume, considering they've given up so much, you know, there's so much draft capital, prospect capital, etc., it would have to be a deal involving a roster player. I wonder if he goes shopping for a winger, and one of the centers, maybe Jean-Gabriel Pajot, ends up being a casualty here. Agree, disagree. Agree. I, I want I want to see casualties on this roster, man. I, I don't know. I, that's that's part that's part of the problem with the Islanders right now is that you know the the Horvat trade is great. It makes them a little bit better, but it it it, it adds another twenty eight plus player because he's turning twenty eight at the beginning of April to a roster where if you mm. look at their cap friendly page, it's like its own demographic. <laughs> like it's everybody's between the ages of twenty eight and thirty two. Like, it, it, you have yeah. to change the mix. You have to get younger. You have to change the mix of this team. I am I am firmly in the but camp here, now that the last, that the two conference final years were the anomalies in the pandemic, that last year's team is much more closer mm. to this year's team. And you have to start moving out these pieces. Look, you tried to build a good team. It's like, lose like the, the captain on, the guy who built the Titanic in Titanic. I built you a good ship, Rose. Well, you know what? Occasionally they hit the ice. <laughs> so now you got to go and you got to trade some okay. people and remake this roster. So uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of people around hockey will tell you, will tell you one thing. And that is um, rosters like, the ones that the Islanders have right now are built for the playoffs, whereas they're not necessarily built to get to the playoffs. But like when you get into the playoffs, it's players 
you know, like whether it's Peugeot, whether it's Anders Lee, whether it's Brock Nelson, like these types of guys, like these are the types of guys that thrive in the playoffs right in that demographic that you were talking about that have like five, sixes and sevens beside their name and cap friendly and cap friendly rather. The problem is it's not necessarily those guys that are going to get you in the playoffs, but if you can get in they're poised to do damage. That's the conundrum the Islanders find themselves in. They have a team that's ready for the playoffs. The problem is getting there. They don't necessarily have that team. That's what a lot of NHL people will tell you. Agree, disagree. No, I mean, that's that's a reasonable counter-argument. It's a reasonable counter-argument that when things get tighter in the playoffs, when goals are harder to come by, when the real dynamic teams in the conference can't necessarily apply their trade in the same way that the Islanders are built for that. I I think of the Devils a lot when that argument comes up. I think that's an incredible hockey Mm -hmm. team. I I was watching them against Vancouver the other night, man. I was out of breath watching how fast the play was and the the back-and-forth chances and everything. But I'm still not convinced that the Devils are going to be able to excel in the playoffs playing that style, and I'm not convinced that their roster is built in the same way that the Islanders are. Like, for example, like... You could easily see a situation where the Devils qualify for the playoffs, pull a team like the Islanders in the first round, and then they're out because the Islanders are a grinded-out yep. veteran team that can that can play a certain style of playoff hockey that the Devils, either because of roster construction or just because they haven't done it yet, uh, don't quite understand. Yep. And so I, I, I'm willing to buy that argument. Um, that being said, I, I still there's still a part of me that thinks that that they're a little this Islanders team is just a bit overrated because of what we saw in those in those weird anomalous pandemic years. And I think that's part of partly what informs that thought. This team went to the conference final twice. Put some respect on this team. Twice. I did. I picked him for the cup the next year. Guess what happened? They missed the playoffs. So I'm <laughs> still I'm still but not convinced. Th- and because you know what? When we I, put too much value into weird postseasons, we end up with the Vancouver Canucks. Is, is, the, is what happens. In the bubble. Okay, so I'm about to say the stupidest thing you've ever heard me say, but I, I think you'll understand oh, the true. spirit of it that goes behind it. Okay. You know why the... Uh, <laughs> thank you. You know why the Islanders didn't win the Stanley Cup the year you predicted they would win the Stanley Cup? Because they just flat out couldn't get there. But if they could have got there, I think that they were built to win the Stanley Cup. Like, I, again, I looked at that team and said... They're going to have a problem getting there. But if they do get there, that's a team that wins cups. Now, that's a team that goes deep, you know? So, dumb thing from Merrick, they didn't win the Stanley Cup because they couldn't get to the playoffs. Well, it's, duh. It's not dumb. But the it's thing is, dumb. like, there's said, different teams that win this in the Stanley Cup. That doesn't even crack the top 25 dumbest things you've ever said. Look, <laughs> I don't, uh, I, thanks, as, as you know, another hallmark of MVSW is that I write my column on the show. Well, Here's the good news. I've already written it, so I'm not necessarily okay. workshop, workshopping anything here. But my column tomorrow <laughs> on ESPN is going to be about expansion yeah. of the playoffs and how much the players surprisingly don't want to do that. Um, one of the players I spoke to, though, was Josh Morrissey of the Jets, and he made a very good point to speak to your point about that very thing, which is that, and I quote, if you look at the teams just outside of the playoffs, there are some teams that, if they got in, could challenge, and you see that every year. And the Islanders, I think it, it you know, it, it could be fair to say, if, if only for my own sanity, having picked them to win the Cup, were one of those teams last year, where if you did have more teams involved in the postseason, 
And even if you ran it 20 teams and then did the NBA uh, system, you could see the Islanders getting in, winning a couple of games to stay in, and then grinding out another Mm -hmm. run. And so, yeah, I'll choose to believe your theory, and I'll choose to believe that, uh, that much like Josh Morrissey said, there are definitely going to be teams that are on the outside looking in this year, probably from the Pacific Division, uh, that could easily get in the playoffs and really make hay if we had more teams in the postseason. Yeah, you know, I th- I really thought that we would see, we would see, um, we would see more teams in the playoffs coming off of COVID because it's essentially, this to be blunt, it's a great cash grab. It really is, and it increases HRR. Like we've seen, you know, did the the reason we have digital ads on boards is because of COVID and the losses in COVID. The reason we have ads on jerseys is because of COVID and the losses from COVID. Expanding the playoffs mm. seemed like an easy one. Really seemed like though it's it's like grab cash wherever you can, Greg. We've yeah, lost so much I, money. Like I'm, I'm I'm I listen. I'm pleased that the the cup itself doesn't have a sponsor attached to it, comma yet, but. I kind of looked at coming out of COVID and saying, all right, there's, there are so many losses here from the owner's side, from the player's side, et cetera. This is the perfect time for everyone to get together and say expanded playoffs. We need it now, if for no other reason than to increase HRR and start to pay down the player's debts and to try to get escrow to a comfortable place for everybody. Didn't happen. And if not then, then when? Like, if not out of economic necessity, then when? Like, what is the what is the pressure point for that to happen? Now I have no idea. Now I have uh, no idea. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when, but first off, i got to correct you. We have ads on jerseys because the NBA did it. And we have CGI boards because Major League Baseball did it. And because the technology, allegedly, <laughs> and they'll be, go on Twitter any mm-hmm. night of the NHL, and you'll see plenty of debate about that. <laughs> the, the technology allegedly yeah. would allow for it. Um, yeah. I, by the way, in the All-Star game, didn't you love, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the broadcast, but like they did the thing that I hope they get to at some point, which is the boards exploding with, with graphics when somebody scores and, and having their face on yep. there and information like, like the, the te- I am a, I, I will That's say this good. again for the millionth time. I am a huge fan of the, of the tech. I am not necessarily a fan of, of the implementation of that tech quite yet. Now to your point. The, we'll get expanded playoffs when Gary Bettman doesn't have the gavel at a board of governors meeting. Um, because I truly do believe that there is, um, there are, there are people within the board of governors that want to expand the playoffs. They know it's a non-starter as long as Gary's there. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't see any benefit to it. He actually doesn't believe the revenue argument that we can have even more money coming in because he believes it will cheapen not only the postseason but the regular season. He's got a traditional streak. The other part mm-hmm. of it, too, is that we'll never really know how much momentum there is. Like the Athletic and Pierre Lebrun did a, a, a poll back in December that asked 12 Board of Governors people, do you want expanded playoffs? All 12 said yes. None of them will put their name to it because Bettman has oh, yeah, these guys in line. Because it goes against the commissioner. To, to, yeah. It goes against the commissioner, but it also does something you cannot do if you're on the Board of Governors, which is it signals to the players here is a thing we want that we can't get right now. And maybe if you work with Good us, point. we can get there. Nobody, you never show your hand when it comes to labor negotiations and allowing, like, like, like you said, usurping Gary's wants in this case to signal that there is some, 
you know, predilection to, to expand the playoffs is not what you do in, in any case with the Board of Governors. So that's part of it, too. I, I think you're right. And on that, we got to hustle. But yes, I think there's an element of uh, don't show them our hand because we want to get a cookie back if we, quote unquote, concede this one. Uh, OK, so very dated references. And we seemed very old today, Greg. You and I are aging in front of everybody. But thank you once again. Uh, continued success. And we'll, uh, we'll look for your piece tomorrow at ESPN. Thanks, pal. We'll talk in seven days. Anytime. Thanks for having me.